How many of you had a good week? How many of you are glad we're out of triple digits? Isn't that a relief? All right, we're going to get into Second Peter tonight, and so if, you, uh, if you're ready to go, say amen. amen. All right, and let's, uh, let's look at this. And I always ask you to read that first verse with me. We're going to call this tonight, Add to Your Faith. This is such good stuff. I tell you, we've had so many orders for the Book of Jude um, study guide that I put together that I wrote uh, over the air. I mean, people are going through this stuff with us. And, you know, we're going to have a lot of people in the radio audience going through this that we're going through right now, uh, later, with us again. So let's stand and let's go through the Word of God and let it talk to us. And this is great tonight. I'm excited about this. We need to, we need to understand what Peter is telling us. So let's read ver- chapter 1, verse 5. Are you ready? But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Father, we thank you for the Word of God. We ask you to talk to us, Lord. We ask you to build us up in the faith. We ask you to give us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And we receive it tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. God bless you. Going through Second Peter, and this is going to be good. I, I feel it coming. We are going to get into some end-time prophecy as we go on in Second Peter. And don't forget that this Sunday we're going to preach on the signs of the times. And, you know, usually on a Sunday we might move 10 or 15 CDs. Um, Sunday we moved over 70, over 70 People, and and people, some people said, I'll be back and get them when the line's not so long. So we hit a nerve. And I'll tell you what it is. People want to know what the Bible says about what is going on around us. They want to know. And so this Sunday, the signs of the times. Don't miss it. Amen? All right. Giving all diligence. Let's just look at that little phrase. Peter says, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Now, giving all diligence, the word giving is from a word meaning to bring in alongside or to contribute besides. It's reaching back into verse 4 where we're informed of exceeding great and precious promises. I want you to grab your Bible and just kind of hold it up. And I'm going to tell you something about your Bible. You're holding 66 books of exceeding great and precious promises. This is not a dead letter. It's not a dead book. It is a book of exceedingly great and precious promises. They're great promises and they're precious promises. They're highly valuable to the child of God. So he says, we're going back to verse 4. He's he's hearkening back to verse 4. And he's talking about these great and precious promises given to us by Jesus Christ in order that we might become what, everybody? Partakers of the divine nature. Wow. That's telling you and me that if I want to be like Jesus, here's how I get like Jesus. I lay hold of the promises of God. I I become like Jesus by faith. I see the promises that are in here, and we're going to look at this tonight. And I say, by faith, I'm going to lay hold of those promises. And when I, by faith, lay hold of the promises, they make their way into my character. You know, folks, God's way more concerned about character than He is charisma. 
He's way more concerned about character than he is looks. What does God put a premium on? Character. Character. God puts a premium on character. Now, Peter is telling us that the natural outcome of those promises is going to be in our character. Diligence means, when he says giving all diligence, diligence means to make haste, to be eager, to do one's best, to take care, to exert oneself. So he's telling us to be really diligent about what we're going to look at tonight. Now I want you to notice in Philippians 2 verse 13, it tells us that we have been given both the desire and the power to do God's will. God gives you the want to do, the want to do, and the power to do the will of God. That is the earmark of somebody who has been saved. The earmark of somebody who has been saved is not that they become more religious, but that they get the desire, they, they experience a desire to do the will of God. It's not something they have to make up. It's not that God has to give us a yardstick or a rule book. No, God gives you a new nature. And that new nature desires to do the will of God. It is said of Jesus, lo, in the volume of the book, it is written of me, I desire to do thy will, O God. The mark of Jesus Christ living in your heart and my heart is the desire to do the will of God, the desire to please God, the desire to walk in his will, to walk in his word. And when we fail at it, we become convicted and grieved because we don't want to hurt or grieve or break communication or fellowship with the heavenly father. Philippians 2.13 tells us God gives us that desire, and He gives us the power to follow through with the desire. He's not a divine tease. He does not dangle a carrot in front of us that we really cannot obtain. He says, I'm going to give you the desire, and then my grace is going to give you the power to follow through and do it. All right? Real important. Now, starting in verse 5 of 2 Peter 1, here's what we find that we have human responsibility to see to it that the virtues Peter is about to list are added to our life. Clearly, it is God's part to implant within the believer a new nature. This happens when we are saved. But it is our part to cooperate with God's working by stepping out in faith to appropriate and make our own the things He's revealed in His Word. That's our part. So God gives us the desire. But then by faith, according to Peter, we are to reach out and, and make our own those promises. We're to cooperate with God. Listen closely to the following verses having to do with our part in appropriating by faith the divine nature. Let's read Romans 13, 14 together. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Can you say with me, put on? Put on. Put on. Now, Paul uses that phrase over and over again in his writings. He tells you to put off. He tells you to put on. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. Uh, put off the old man. Put on Christ. Put on love. Put on this and that. He uses the phrase put on over and over again. To Paul, the fruit of the Spirit is not necessarily something that comes and gets you in a headlock and makes you love people or be patient. 
To Paul, it was a matter of putting it on by faith once you know what God wants. Look at the next verse. Let's read it together. Can we? Ephesians 4. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Wow. I'm to put on the new man. I am to appropriate it and put it on. Look at this next verse, Colossians 3.12. Can you say this with me now? So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You put these things on. Some of you are waiting for love to grab a hold of you, and you don't know that it's as far away as your faith appropriating it. Think about it. Think about this now. That phrase, put on, means the same thing as putting on a coat. How many of you got this morning got dressed? Thank God. Now, watch this now. The same way you put on clothes, you put on patience, you put on love, you put on Christ. Let me show you the same Greek word is in Luke 15, 22, when Jesus is given the parable of the prodigal son. And when the son came home and the father tells the servants, what did he say? He says, but the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. You see that phrase, put it on him? Same Greek word. Same Greek word. Paul is using that same word that I would, if he was telling you and me, if he were telling you and me to go get dressed, put on a coat, it's the same thing when he's telling us, put on the new man, put on love, put on Jesus, put off like you would take a coat off, the old man and his ways. Put it on, put it off. How in the world does this work? Well, you're in rush hour traffic, somebody pulls right in front of you, almost wreck. You almost ram into them. And not only that, but they don't care what you think about it. You've got to weave and turn and you've got to hit your brakes and it's hot out. It's triple digits. The heat is bouncing off that pavement. You've had a long, hard day. You're ready to get home and relax. And now this numb skull pulls in front of you almost and you don't feel at that moment spiritual at all. What you feel like doing is putting on the spirit of Texas. But now, here's where we got to get it down where the rubber meets the road. He's telling us many, many times in any given day, you've got the option to put on the flesh or put on Jesus. Put on patience. Put on love. Put on the new man. Put off the old man. It's a See, what we're going to see Peter is telling us is that these virtues, where we take on the divine nature, are appropriated by faith. They are obtained by faith. And it's up to the child of God to say, all right, here I am. In any normal situation, I'd be losing my patience, losing my temper. But I'm choosing right here to take my faith and put on Jesus. And the more I do that, I become, by faith, a partaker of the divine nature. It's very, really very practical. It's very practical. Look, he says, 
By faith, we're to put on like a robe the virtues Peter lists for us. Add to your faith, when he says add to your faith, it's better understood as to develop one virtue in the exercise of another. Each new grace springing out of attempting and perfecting the other. That is, as you develop patience, other virtues come out of that. As you develop love, other virtues come out of that. One spawns the other. Now, the word virtue in verse 5 is not talking about moral excellence. It's not talking about somebody that's hugely moral. Here's what it's saying. It's talking about energy in the exercise of your faith, as in vigorous action. Add to your faith energy. Add, in other words, use your faith. Add to your faith. First thing you've got to add to it, if you're going to have any of the other virtues, you've got to add energy. That is, begin to exercise your faith. That's what virtue means in verse 5. You've got to use the faith. In other words, add to your faith vigorous energy while you lay hold of or put on God's promises. The only good faith is activated faith that is energetically reaching for God's best. Remember what we were, uh, looked at in the very first, at the very beginning here? He says, giving all diligence. And look what diligence means. Make haste, be eager, do one's best, take care, exert yourself. We ought to be eager about developing these virtues, exerting ourselves, putting energy to our faith. Not getting up in the morning and saying, good Lord, it's morning, but good morning, Lord, and I'm going to put on my faith today, and I'm going to appropriate Jesus today, and I'm going to put on the new man and put on love and put on patience, and I'm going to do it energetically, eagerly, with zeal. I want to add these virtues to my character. That's what it's saying. That's what it's saying. So it could read this way. Add to your faith intense effort. And to your intense effort, add knowledge. Knowledge is gnosis here, gnosis. And part of this knowledge in context is to understand the importance of temperance. Temperance which is the next one, which is the ability to hold the passions and desires in hand. Verse 6 says, to knowledge, gnosis, to knowledge, let your, get some knowledge about self-control. That's what he's saying. Get some knowledge about self-control. To knowledge, temperance, to temperance, patience, and to perseverance or patience, godliness. So here we are. We're energetically, eagerly, Activating our faith to grab hold of these virtues and put them on. Temperance is self-control. I want you to notice what Solomon said about self-control. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Now stop there and don't look at the next one yet. In, in Solomon's thinking in Old Testament... If a city had no wall, it was open to the comings and goings of the enemy any old time. A city without walls 
was open to catastrophe, to attack, to defeat. At any given moment, you had to have a wall where you would put your guards on top of the wall. You had to have a wall to protect yourself. Now Solomon is likening you and me to a city and the walls to our ability to practice restraint and self-control. He's saying if you, if you give up on self-control and you go out of control and you don't allow the Holy Ghost to discipline you, you're like a city that has no walls and the enemy comes in and out at will and constantly defeats you and brings catastrophe into your life. We got to have self-control, restraint, temperance. Okay, here's another one. Same, uh, Proverbs 25, uh, or chapter 16, verse 32. He who is slow to anger is better than somebody who's mighty. And he who rules his spirit is mightier than he who single-handedly conquers a city. That's just a huge statement about self-control. You know, if you're somebody who flies off and gets mad and blows your stack and screams and yells and, and listen, you need to ask God to deliver you. And I can tell you something encouraging. That's a learned response because the Bible says, don't hang around with an angry man lest you learn his ways and get a snare to your own soul. So catch this. Now, somebody who, who is just who follows every whim of their flesh, who has an anger problem, an out-of-control lust problem. Uh, there's, a, there's a million different things that have to do with self-control. If you just throw it to the wind and say, I'm not going to practice discipline, you know, if it feels good, do it. If I want to, I will. I tell you, before God, you're headed to catastrophe. It's only a matter of time only a matter of time. He's telling us here, add to your, your knowledge, add to gnosis, your knowledge, the understanding of how to practice self-control. That's powerful stuff. That's what you need to be adding to your faith. In the Greek world, temperance or self-control was used to describe the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites. His or her sex passions are under the control of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what our culture will tell you. Our culture, y'all look at me, quit reading my notes. You're looking up there, not even. <laughs> no. Our culture will tell you uh, this is all a bunch of junk, this Bible stuff. You need to be open, you need to be very sexual, you need to do whatever you really want to do with your sexuality. And I'm telling you, that is the doctrine of fools. He says, with your knowledge, gain the knowledge of how to bring your passions under the control of the Holy Ghost. Or here's what will happen. Your passions will destroy you. Say, well, aren't these God-given passions? Yes, they are God-given passions, but not out of control. That's not how God gave them to you. Desire and out-of-control passion are two different things. If we were God, we could call before us right now 
millions of people in this country alone who would tell you, I wish I had kept my passions under control. I wish I'd kept my sexuality under the restraint of the Holy Spirit. I wish I had. I listened to Hugh Hefner, and I listened to all the pornographers, and I listened to the liberals, and I listened to the the ungodly. I wish that I had listened instead of David to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. Because if I'd listened to the Bible, I wouldn't have a broken, shattered heart. I wouldn't have a diseased body. You know, it's funny. The devil's, the devil's way with you and me is always to give us the benefit without the consequences up front. You grab the benefit of temptation and the consequences follow. But, he, but you know, he never shows his hand. He never really shows what he's up to. He lets you, he lets you bite the bait and then the consequences come and it's almost like, well, where's the devil that told me this was going to be so good? He's nowhere to be found. He lured you into destruction. But God's way, it's difficult up front, but it's way better in the end. You know, James said, you've seen the end of the Lord, that he's merciful and compassionate and has a good plan for you. So the enemy, he'll draw you in and say, look, look at these benefits. And you, you bite the bait and you find the consequences later. God says, die that you may live. Pick up your cross and follow me. And it looks straightened. It looks narrow. It looks difficult. It doesn't seem like there's much reward. And you do it. But then you see great blessing down the road. So it's really a matter of immediate versus delayed gratification. What do you want? You want immediate gratification? There's a million ways out there to get it. But if you take immediate gratification, you'll pay in the long haul. If you'll take delayed gratification, that's always God's way. Delayed gratification. You crucify yourself, you pick up the cross, you follow him, and it's straightened, and it's difficult. Not a whole lot of people going with you. But then you begin to see that the way widens and blessing begins to fall and that His way was the the way that blesses you for the rest of your life. So this is what Peter's talking about. He's saying, add to your knowledge self-control. Let the Holy Ghost take control of you. Now, it's really powerful here uh, to self-control, add patience. I want patience now, bless God. The Greek word for patience means to remain under. And we as 21st century Christians had better understand this right now. I hope you remember this someday. Because the Greek word for patience means to remain under. And it's referring to remaining under trials and testings in a way that honors God. In other words, you're not griping and complaining and murmuring under the trials and testings that are in your life, but you're remembering to thank Him. You're thinking to thank, pausing to praise, willing to worship. If if you can't say something good, you don't say anything at all. One commentator explains patience as meaning remaining behind or staying. 
not merely endurance of the inevitable, but the heroic, brave patience with which a Christian not only bears up, but continues to contend for the faith through it all. Y'all get that? It's not a complainer, murmurer. It's not somebody who's griping all the time. When you've got trials in your life, why'd God let this happen? Where's God? When's this going to end? How come they did this and they did this and he did that and she did that? And what's the deal here? How come God hadn't moved? Instead, you learn to remain under the trial and under the testing with a good attitude. That's, that's what it means. That's, that's Bible patience. See, we would, we would understand patience if you told a classroom full of college people, what does patience mean? It means you just, you endure through something. You just hang in there until the wretched thing is over. That's not Bible patience. Bible patience is focused on not only passing through a trial or a testing, but keeping your attitude of gratitude and of victory as you go through it. That's Bible patience. That's Bible patience. And who do we see that in more than anybody in the New Testament next to Jesus? The attitude king, Paul. There he is in jail. Boy, don't you see this kind of patience in him? In everything give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He's got a Roman guard here, a Roman guard here. His legs are chained. He can't go free. He can't go preach. He's been locked up for doing something right, not doing something wrong. If anybody had a chance to complain and grumble and moan and gripe, it was Paul. But instead, the attitude king put on real Bible patience. He practiced what he preached. As a matter of fact, this word we're reading came out of prison experiences, not just of Paul, but Peter, who was put in prison over and over again, whipped, beaten. I mean, he went through terrible things too, but he's learned. Add to your knowledge self-control and to your self-control as you're practicing self-control in a world of temptation, put on Bible patience. Keep your attitude of gratitude steady. Amen. So that you, you even contend for the faith through it all. You stay in there with the Lord. Now to patience, he says, add godliness. Now remember the last time when we explained godliness from verse 3 as meaning to worship well? You remember that? Godliness literally means to worship well. Uh, godliness means worship that is rightly directed. It is to worship the right thing, avoiding the worship of false gods. Worship comes from the word worth-ship, which is reverence that is paid to worth or to what has value. So to patience, bearing up under something with a godly attitude or with a, with a victorious attitude, we are now to add worship rightly directed. Man, you get somebody doing all these things, they're blessed. We're about to see how blessed. Verse 7 says, to godliness add brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness add love. Now remember, we're eager to add these things. We're using our faith to activate these things. Brotherly kindness comes from the Greek word Philadelphia. Philadelphia. 
Phileo is to have an affection for, and adophos means a brother. So Philadelphia means brotherly affection, as most of you know. Surprised the ACLU hadn't tried to change the name of that city yet. That's, that's, a, that's a Bible word, God forbid. <laughs> and this affection for brothers and sisters is to be saturated with love, which is agape, 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 or agape. Agape is the kind of love that is God's love. It impels the believer to, de- to deny himself for the benefit of the one loved. All these things were to add to our faith. This is building the spiritual house. Let's read the translation, can we? And for this very cause, having added on your part every intense effort, provide lavishly in your faith virtue, and in your virtue, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, patience, and in your patience, godliness, and in your godliness, an affection for the brethren, and in your affection for the brethren, divine love. Now look what's going to happen to somebody that walks in these things. Read verse 8 with me. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. See that little word, be? You wouldn't think that means very much, but be in that particular verse speaks of possession, something belonging to the believer. The possession of the Christian virtues we just discussed is a natural expected thing by reason of the fact that we have become a partaker of the divine nature. So here you are, you get up and you say, I'm putting on to my faith, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to add energy to my faith, and I'm going to begin to add to my faith the virtues listed by Peter. I'm going to walk in these things, not just hear a message on a Wednesday night. Tomorrow, when I get tempted to lose my patience or not walk in love, I'm going to remember what Pastor Jeff said out of the Word, put on love, put on patience, put on Jesus, put on the new man. He says, when you begin to walk in these things, he uses the word abound. And abound literally means superabounding. Superabounding. When my mother, um, when I was a little bitty kid, I remember she took me to my very first movie. She took me to The Son of Flubber. The Son of Flubber, Fred McMurray. Some of you don't even know what that is. And I understand. I'm dating myself here. I'm 53. Flubber was this material that I guess Disney put it together to sell movies. And at this movie, when the son of Flubber with Fred McMurray, who was this crazy professor who created this substance called Flubber, and it, and it would bounce. And it was like a Super Bowl, but it was an early Super Bowl because you could stretch it. It was like silly putty in a Super Bowl kind of wrapped up in one. And the reason I wanted to go because I knew at the theater they gave Flubber away if you went. And I wanted some flubber so bad. I said, Mother, please take me to see the son of flubber. So we went into the counter. I remember walking in, and I went straight to the counter where the flubber was, and I said, I want my flubber. <laughs> they gave me that flubber. And you throw it on the ground, and it would boom, 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 just like a Super Bowl. It would stretch. It was the cool. I'd like some now, really, as a matter of fact. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. But now, this, I, you know, when I see this super abounding, I see a Christian that is so full of Jesus, they're just bouncing around, flubber-like. 
Because he, the Spirit-filled life, folks, is the overflowing life. It's like an artesian spring whose source is stronger than its outflow so that it keeps on outflowing. And isn't that what Jesus described? John 4, 14, Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring within, gushing, bounce, 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 just alive, gushing fountains of endless life. Well, how come so many Christians don't have this? Because I don't think we understand. The virtues are to be added by eager faith. Put on. Well, I just can't be patient. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Well, how? By the faith God put in you, you put it on. Say, I just choose to put on Jesus. I just choose to put on faith. I choose to put on patience. I just choose to put on patience. So there, I've, I've done it. I will be patient in the name of the Lord. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm just going to put it on. There, I'm going to begin to change. And as you appropriate it over time, your character begins to take on the divine nature. I love this. For if these virtues are super abounding, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Barren comes from a word meaning no work or idle. This means that if the Christian virtues are super abounding, you will not be idle in pressing on and developing the knowledge of Christ. So here's the translation and we're done, everybody. Read it with me. Let's stand together and read it, can we? All right, you ready? For if these things are your natural and rightful possession and are in superabundance, they so constitute you that you are neither idle nor unfruitful in the full knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Isn't that good stuff? Well, let's pray together, can we? Heavenly Father, Apart from you, we can do nothing, but in you and through you, we can do all things. And Lord, we want to put on these virtues. We don't want to live a life devoid of these virtues that Peter listed, that we make ours by energized faith that eagerly reaches out for them and puts them on. Help us, Lord, to take that weak area of lack of patience, lack of love, lack of mercy, Whatever it may be, help us, Lord, to bring our lives under the control of the Holy Ghost and to practice self-control. And Lord, we just thank you that the divine nature will more and more be imparted into us as we practice these things. In Jesus' name, amen. God, now you get to be tested. There are millions of calories out there. Go get whatever you want. God bless you.